Tonight we're going to look at an issue that I happen to like to talk about, but it's an issue that has been with us for thousands of years. Uh, so if you have your Bible with you, uh, turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. I have mine all printed out, so it's easier for me. But Numbers chapter 13, if you have your Bible with you, or we'll show it on the rear screen. As you're turning there, let's take a little background first look at the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Numbers is a time span of approximately 38 years. So a lot goes by here in these uh, short chapters. Um, by the time you're at chapter 10, verse 11 in the book of Numbers, the Hebrews are out of Egypt from their exodus. They're already at Mount Sinai. And the bulk of the wilderness journey that we call the wilderness happens in the book of Numbers. The bulk of the entire journey is in this book in chapters uh, 10 to 26, a 38-year span of time. Things are happening real fast here. And uh, it's called the book of Numbers because Hebrews were counted in a census twice. It's a recording of the changing of the generations that takes place. The first generation in chapter 1, they're born in Egypt. By the time you get to chapter 26, this is the second generation, and those are the ones who were born in the wilderness over those years of journeying. And the bulk, by the time you get to chapter 26, the bulk of the first generation born in Egypt is dead. Wow. They're gone. There's a whole new nation of Israel standing there. Amazing. So, are you at chapter 13 yet? Well, let's take a look at this. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out men for yourself to spy out the land of Canaan. Now, what we call modern Israel today is the Canaan land that they occupied. To spy out the, Canaan la the land of Canaan, which I am going to give the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. Hmm, interesting here. This is not just some, you know, uh, Izzy Jew sitting around the desert hanging around. These are leaders of the nations, leaders of the tribes that are going to be picked. These are special people. They are, they are, they are, they are important people. And there are going to be 12 of them, and they're going to go out and check out the land. So here we have Jehovah God who is the pre-incarnate Jesus, before Jesus took on a body, the second person of the Trinity, Jehovah God, is promising the people land, their inheritance. It's very important. He's promising. So where he promises, he always gives us success to obtain the promise. It isn't like, well, I'm going to promise, I don't know if you're going to get it or not. No, he gives us the success to make it happen. All right, here we have Numbers chapter 13. So let's see here. Uh, let's go from uh, uh, verses 17 through 20 here of Numbers chapter 13. <laughs> when Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan, <clears throat> he said to them, go up there into the Negev and then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like. Whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and how is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? How are the cities which they live? Are the people in open camps or are they in fortifications? 
fortifications. And how is the land? Is it productive or unproductive? Are there any trees in it or not? Right? They're moving out of a desert land. And show yourselves courageous and get some of the fruit of the land. Now, it was the time of the first ripe grapes. Okay, so here we have in verse 12, the spies are sent out and they're going to check out the land. The Hebrews are about to become an invading army. And the spies were not sent to find out how bad they would be defeated or how bad the losses could be. They were sent out on how to obtain victory. What is this land going to be like that we're going to take? So the spies were sent out to find out how they would succeed. All right, then we go to verse 22. And when they had gone up to the Negev, uh, they came to Hebron, uh, where uh, Amaman, uh, Shehamshai, uh, Talmai, and the descendants of Anak were there. Now, Anak are giants. That this is Goliath's um, family line. And Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So the spies here are going to approach the land from the extreme southern part. And they're going to check out the land and return in 40 days. You know, the whole nation of Israel must have been in a state of expectation of what they're going to report, right? So we're going to see in this group that's going to go out of spies that two different groups are going to emerge. Both groups, very important, are going to see the exact same thing. Yet they're going to react totally differently by giving different reports of what they saw. So let's focus a little bit now on what these groups saw. Uh, chapter 17, uh, verses, uh, let's see, what do we want to do here? 25 to 30. Uh, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they went, they went on and came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed all the fruit of the land. So they reported to him and said, we've come into the land where you've sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and there it is, and, and this is its fruits. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And indeed, the descendants of Anarch are there. So they saw giants. Amalek is living in the land. Those are enemies of Israel. And in the land of the Negev, the, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Bugites, the Samsonites, all the ites. And if you didn't know, Samsonites were the first people ever to travel with luggage. <laughs> Wanted to see if you're paying attention. Okay. Never heard of Bugites. Anyway, uh, living in the hill country and the Canaanites and living by the sea by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb <coughs> quieted the people down before Moses and said, we should by all means go up <coughs> and take possession of it, for we will certainly prevail over it. Okay, so we see here the first group is uh, Joshua and Caleb, and they come back with a good report. The second group are the rest of the men, the majority, and they come back with a bad report. Let's keep on reading here. Uh, verses 31 to 33. But the men who, who had gone up and said, we are not able to go up against these people. Now, they were told to observe. Now they're given a judgment. That's not what they were told to do. They were told just to ob give an observation. 
But now they're adding a judgment to it. We are not able to go up against the people because they're too strong for us. Verse 32, so they brought a bad report of the land which they had spied out to the sons of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it were of great stature. We also saw the Nephilim, another word for giants there. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Really? How do you know that? That's what you looked like in their sight. Did you like walk up to them and tap them on the kneecap? Excuse me, do I look like a grasshopper? <gasps> I do? Oh, thank you. Bye. And Come on. These are all value judgments they're making inside of themselves. Interesting here. Here they're terrified of what these people look like. We're not going to go there, but if you look in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, when Rahab talks to the, to, the, to the people, she says, we were terrified that you were coming over here. They were already melted in their hearts at the fear of, of, of the Hebrews coming in. That was the complete opposite. Okay, so we see here uh, the bad report is in the eye of the majority. The good report in the eye of the minority. And if you look here really careful, all Caleb kind of says is, yeah, we should, we all go means take it up. We, we, we can take this place. If you notice here very carefully, when you just read this, it doesn't take many words to bring a good report. Very few words had to be spoken. But when you look at the bad report, wow, how many words had to be given to give the bad report? Because it takes more words to give a bad report than it does to give a good report. Because bad reports always have to carry with it excuses and explanations of why not. Isn't that amazing? And, this, and to our very day, it has never changed. So the point here is, what we're seeing so far, is how we see something that matters. How we see something. They all saw the same thing, but boy, they came out with a different view. And so we have here only one group sees the problem, and only one group here sees the solution to the problem. And that's really what I'm speaking on tonight. Do you see the problem, or do you see the solution? This is the issue that has faced people for thousands of years. No matter what comes against us in life, are you only looking at how big the problem is, or do inside of you, you see how big the solution is? Problems are going to face all of us. We know that. And these problems are going to demand answers. And still it remains with us to this very day, and it will never leave us. Uh, these issues can be issues of life and death. Uh, and often it's an issue of do we please God or do we not please God and how we respond to the problems we, we see in life. So here in the book of Numbers, we have a model of this dilemma. Uh, one group here could only see how big their problem was. The other group here just saw how big their covenant God was and how he could help them overcome any obstacles. And yet we are no different. When it comes to financial giants that face us, giants of sickness and disease, giants of uh, family disharmony in marriages or families, uh, do we only see how big the problem is before us? Or do we see how big my God is? This is real life. What will we see? How will we respond to this? And then what faces us? So let's go on here. Now, one group uh, with the bad report 
is a group that walks by their five senses. It's all based on what they see, what they hear, what they feel, what they touch. And it totally mo they're totally motivated by the circumstances of life that are before them. It overwhelms them. The other group isn't like that at all. They walk by faith and not by sight, which we have revealed to us in the New Testament. It's interesting here in verse 32, um, the King James Bible calls the bad report an evil report. Good for the King James. Yeah. So then what you have here is an evil report and a good report. The majority responds, we can't, uh, which is in their hearts, already attitude of defeat and unbelief long before it came out of their mouths. The minority responds, we can, which means they already had the victory in their hearts and they're talking faith of what they do not see yet that will take place. That's just interesting here. Remember way back here in Genesis, uh, Genesis Numbers 13, 2, uh, it says here, God said, I am going to give. That's a promise. He makes a promise here, and that alone is all they need to be inspired to put faith in his promises. But they don't. Here as believers in the New Testament, we have all kinds of promises in the Word of God, but very few people actually believe what God says. Here, only uh, Caleb and Joshua did. The rest didn't. So one here has faith-filled words. One here has fear-filled words, right? One has no faith in what God just already promised. I'm going to give them this land. And the other believes exactly what God promised. And that hasn't changed to the very day we live in. All of us have the same Bibles, different translations, the same Bibles, and when we read them, there's always people that will believe whatever God says. That's fine by me. I agree. I believe. Others, well, yeah, sure. Until something comes up in the opposite in their lives that says different, and all of a sudden they forget everything about what God has said. So one here we have in Numbers is Satan's language, and one is God's language. So haven't we as Christians seen the same? I know I have. We see this, the same analogy faces us today that they faced way back then. Now, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2, it tells us, uh, if you have been ensnared by the words of your mouth or caught by the, the words of your mouth, we have been ensnared by the words of our mouth. And that's what this group that believed the bad report has ha is happening to them. So everyone here who has adverse circumstances uh, that we're going to be confronted with from time to time in life, but every time when adverse circumstances comes, it's an opportunity for us to fall into one of these two groups all the time. Do we only see and speak the problems, or do we see with the eye of faith and speak Jesus, speak the Word of God, which is our solution to the promises we face, uh, problems we face. And when I say word of God, uh, those promises of God are the solution. They are the answer. Well, I put greater faith and belief in what the word tells me, what Jesus says, or by what I see. Uh, the huge majority put greater faith in what they see. They, they, like they're all from Missouri, show me. Not good. So will we speak then as believers defeat or victory? 
Uh, either we're going we're gonna to speak already what we've had put in our hearts. So that's why it's so important that when we read the Word of God, we read believing, not doubting. We read believing, not scratching our heads. Well, I don't know if this is for me or this is for the time I live in. Do I believe God or don't I? Usually when you look at Jesus' words, very simply, he just asks that you believe him. That's the really the bottom line when you look at everything Jesus says, especially in the Gospel of John. Will you believe me? That's basically what he's saying. Will you believe me? Uh, more than what you see, more than what you experience, more than life itself. Will I become your life? Will you believe me? And he didn't get a lot of that. Only a few actually responded. Uh, so, uh, this, this is with things that we are going to be challenged with. What will we put in our hearts? That is what we're going to speak out of our mouths when we're challenged with the challenges of life. And so, do we hold these circumstances in life higher in our hearts than God's faithfulness to His promises? You know, it's an odd thing. It's, I heard one person say one time, it's secret until it happens. You don't really know what you got in you sometimes until you're faced with it. You don't really know what you have. So, um, we want to be holding on to the promises of God's Word higher in us, high in higher esteem than what we see in the natural. Because we will choose either. We will. There is no fence sitting here. We will either going to choose God's report his written word, which will put you into the minority, or will be we, or will be, will be be with the majority in unbelief. You know, it's amazing. All through the Bible, the majority never wants God. They want what He gives them, but they don't want Him. It's always a faithful remnant, a minority that wants Him for who He is. That's your job and my job to be found in the faithful remnant. Because all that's out there that says Christianity ain't Christianity. All that's out there that says I'm a believer really aren't believers. Your job and my job is not to judge someone else, but how will I respond? I want to say yes. I will be a faithful remnant. I need to work on that. That's very, very important. Um, the entire Bible is a constant recording of these two groups. I don't want to go in great detail tonight about all that. It's not necessary. But just as an example, look at David and Goliath in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, it's good to mention that's a mirror image story of what we're seeing here with the spies, right? Goliath is this overwhelming problem that has terrorized the entire Israeli army. And the armies of Israel can only see the problem and the majority hold on to a bad report. I mean, my gosh, if they all rushed him at once, he couldn't handle them, right? No, that's not what they see. They are paralyzed and cannot move. David, on the other hand, who is the most unlikely to respond by what his size and his experience in life, only sees the solution. And here you have one person is a minority report. David only can see how great his God is more than the problem that he faces, right? What does he say about Goliath? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, in that day, it meant who is this man without a covenant? I'm a covenant man. That meant something. In our day, it would say, who is this loser? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? So, you know, and who takes the victory? David. 
who only saw the solution. The problem did not move him. I mean, it's like, really? Slingshot? You really sure about this? <laughs> what if you missed, dude? <laughs> Your lunch? You sure about this? No doubt in his mind. And of course, he takes five smooth stones with him, if you remember the story. And in, there's another scripture that shows us uh, Goliath had four brothers. How about that? You wonder, was he going after the other four if he had to? Uh, plus five is the number of grace in scripture. But wow, with grace, he responds to the problems of life. And got to remember, if you were there at that time, this is a big problem. And yet he was not moved by it. Absolutely amazing. We can go on and on about it, but I just don't want to do that tonight. But um, again, the Bible is filled with stories like that. So let's go back to the spies here. So uh, let's look at the result of these two reports. First, we have people who believed the majority report, the evil report. So let's look at Numbers chapter 14 in verses 1 to 4. Then all the congregation raised their voices and cried out, and the people wept that night. Boy, can you imagine the noise there must have been? Wow. Verse 2, and all the sons of Israel, all of them, grumbled against… Now, this is mostly the generation that came out of Egypt. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the, and, and the entire congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. If we had only, or even if we have died in this wilderness. Boy, you talk stupid. Amazing. Isn't that something here? Notice they grumble against Moses and Aaron. Because when people are angry at God, or think God has disappointed them, guess who they're going to be angry with? His church. That's why sometimes when you see people, uh, they don't want to go to church. Why? You're angry towards God? He failed you? He failed your expectations of, of what you thought he should do? He's not your servant? Oh, we have a problem here? Because whenever they're angry at God, they're going to be angry at you, a believer. How about that? And here we have the example of that. Okay, verse 3. So why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Oh, yeah, let's go back to slavery. That, that's real bright. Verse 4, and they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. My gosh, my gosh, my gosh. Okay, so here, uh, to only see the problem will cause people to whine and complain. So when you see people, Christian Counseling 101, and all they have is a complaint and a whine on their lips, you are looking at somebody who can only see the problem facing them. You are not looking at somebody who's responding in faith. That's not a judgment against them. That's to know where they're at. So you can pray with them and encourage them because that's exactly what you're seeing. Whenever you hear the whiners and complainers in life uh, about money or, uh, or their job or uh, health or their families or their marriage, oh, that husband of mine or whatever, all they're seeing is the problems of life. They are not seeing anything in faith. You know exactly where they're at. Their mouth reveals them. And that's not a judgment on them. It's simply to show you where they're at and they need help. Here we have an entire nation of Hebrews that are walking by sight and not by faith. And they believe a faithless report. 
They did not have any faith to believe a good report. And so what did they do? What, what, what was their reaction here that this produced? It produced fear. It produced dread. It produced strife amongst them, right? It produced a feeling of abandonment. And you know, Christians react the exact same way whenever they have bought into and believed a bad and evil report. Whenever they see things without faith, the eye of faith. Hey, let's look at that again. Let's reiterate this. When you see people constantly, they claim they're believers, they love Jesus, I don't doubt them, but they're, they're living in constant fear. They're not seeing anything with the eye of faith. Or they're dreading what's next going to happen to me. They're not seeing life at all with the eye of faith. They haven't started yet believing the promises in the Word of God. Or they've caused strife amongst other believers or in their own households. They haven't even yet begun to walk in faith. Or they feel abandoned. Where is God? Where's my God in all this? Where's Jesus now? You're talking about people that have not seen with an eye of faith. And when you don't see with an eye of faith, you can't please God. And certainly, they're acting in a way that is abnormal to them if they're believers. Right? Nobody here, I hope you don't do this. Nobody here goes to bed at night and goes sleeping in a coffin. Why? You don't belong there. That's for the, li- that's for the dead. You're the living. You'd be awfully strange. But yet, when we walk around in fear and dread and, and misery and feeling abandoned, we're doing what's not natural to us. We're doing something that the believer cannot live like. This isn't natural to you. You have the life of God in you. You have the encouragement of Holy Spirit in you. Why are you pushing him away? And that's exactly what we have here in uh, the book of Numbers. Um, so notice here, Jehovah God did a lot of miracles to get them at this point, right? My gosh, the, he defeats the gods of Egypt and makes them look like fools. All the miracles, the manna in the desert. Every, I mean, he's done like serious miracles for them, and they forgot every one of them all of a sudden. All of a sudden, they're all forgotten. And don't Christians do the same thing? All of a sudden, they forget everything about what God has done for them. My gosh, these miracles should have produced such great faith in these people. It should have been like, huh, yeah, no problem. God can take care of this. No, the opposite happens. Total fear and feeling of abandonment. I can't, I'm amazed at how many believers quickly forget what the Lord has done in their lives. Like, all of a sudden you got a different God now? It just absolutely amazes me. Absolutely amazes me. You know, and the enemy is terrible because he'll never tell you what you have. He'll always tell you what you don't have. He'll always point out to you what you don't have. He'll never point out to you how good God has been to you. He'll always point out to you what's still lacking. He'll never remind you of how good the Lord has been. How so many people probably would have killed themselves if they didn't know Christ as their Savior. Life was that bad. How so many people have the misery of life when they found Christ. Finally, joy came into their life for the first time. Never remind you of that. Never, never, never. Always remind you of, look how bad it is. Where's your God now? And that's exactly what's happening to these people. All the miracles God has done for them, they forgot. I find that amazing how Christians do the exact same thing. So, now let's look here how Jehovah God reacts to this minority report. Um, Let's look at, um, well, first of all, he reacts very positively here to Caleb. In uh, chapter uh, 14, verse 24, this is God talking, 
We'll, we'll, we'll read this again. He says, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. He had a different spirit. What was so different about Caleb? He's just a positive guy, sees the glass half full. No, he's a man that responds by faith. That's the different spirit. He's a man that responds in faith, not in unbelief. He is what you call New Testament normal. He walks by faith. And the Lord was pleased with that. And doesn't it tell us that in the New Testament? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It never changes. It's always an issue of faith. Uh, Will you believe in what you do not see? Again, what does Jesus always really tell us? Will you believe me? Here in uh, uh, chapter, uh, where am I at here? Chapter 14. I'll tell you what, first let's go to chapter 26. At the end of the chapter in verses 64 and 65. What's a big chapter. But among these, there was not a man who was numbered among by, by Moses and Aaron the priests, who numbered the sons of Israel in Sinai. In other words, at this point, they're dying. Verse 65, for the Lord said of them, they shall certainly die in the wilderness, and not one of them was left. That's the original generation from uh, uh, Egypt. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. That doesn't mean he didn't have a father. He did have a father. His father was called Nun. Odd. Okay, so here we have here the complainers who only see the problem, the crowd, are destroyed. Now bear in mind, this is an age of law. We live in an age of grace. Thank you. That's where you go. Thank you, Jesus. I live in an age of grace. This is an age of law. The only, the, I see the problem only crowd is gone. They're getting destroyed here. Now, chapter 14, verses, it's a long reading, verses um, 20 through uh, 35. And um, yeah, let's do that. So the Lord said, I have forgiven them in accordance with your word. However, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Certainly all the people who have seen my glory, right, the miracles, and my signs, miracles, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness. Yet they have put me to the test these 10 times and have not listened to my voice. In other words, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. What have I done for you? I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Verse 23, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who are disrespectful to me see it. And here's Caleb again. But for my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now, the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valley. Turn tomorrow to set you set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses, sent Aaron, saying, How long shall I put up with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which are voicing against me. Like he's not going to hear this. Verse 28, as I say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I do to you. Now, these are strong words. Your dead bodies will fall in the wilderness. 
all of your numbered men according to your uh, complete number from 20 and old and upward who have grumbled against me. By no means will you come into the land where I swore to settle you, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become plunder, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies will fall in the wilderness. Whoa! And your sons will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your bodies perish in the wilderness. In accordance with the number of days you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall suffer and the punishment of your guilt a year that is 40 years. Why were they 40 years in the wilderness? Because of the 40 days of unbelief. That's the answer. And a lot of people write all these books. Why were they 40 years in the wilderness? It's because of the 40 days of unbelief. That's why. Right there. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I certainly will do this to an all-evil congregation who are gathered against me, and they shall be sworn out, uh, they shall be warned out in this wilderness, and there they shall die. Then verses 36 to 38. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and led the congregation to grumble against him by bringing a bad report about the land, to those men who brought the bad report of the land also died by a plague in the presence of the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went out to spy out the land. What an amazing statement here. You're talking about 1.5, no one knows the exact number, million Hebrews left Egypt and they're all dead except two of them by this point. Wow, that's a lot of dead bodies across the desert. I mean, I'm assuming they didn't leave them there to rot. Uh, you know, a joke used to be, I'm glad I wasn't on burial detail. Imagine burying all those bodies. Wow. I mean, there, there ain't no backhoe to use. This is like the hand shovel in, in, in the hard uh, desert here. This is tough. My gosh, incredible. And we see here in chapter 14, verse 24, Caleb and Joshua were blessed by God. Let's read that because uh, it's worth reading in Joshua chapter 14. Now they're already in the land in verses 6 to 13. Then the sons of Judah... Approached Joshua in Gilgal and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kezanite, and said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, on account of you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back to him uh, the word, I brought back the word to him as it was in my heart. That was a word of faith. Verse 8, nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me uh, made the heart of the people melt with fear. Isn't that something? When you bring a bad report, an evil report, you cause others to stumble. Wow. 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 But I follow the Lord my God fully. Verse 9, so Moses swore on that day, saying, the land in which your foot has walked shall certainly be an inheritance to you and your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. And now behold, the Lord has let me live. 
just as he has spoke these 45 years from the time of the Lord which spoke to Moses when Israel walked in the land, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. This is Caleb talking. And I am still as strong as I was on the day Moses sent me. Wow. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war, for going out and coming in. That is what a life of faith, real faith, does. It keeps you young. You may accumulate years, but it keeps you young. Amen? Don't let anybody tell you you're too old to do anything for the sake of the kingdom of God. There have been many people whose ministry started in their elderly years and shook the world because of it. That's absolutely amazing to me. Um, now then, give me the hill country which the Lord spoke on this day that you shall hear that day that the Anakin were there, the great fortified city. He wants the giants. Uh, you're 85 years old. You sure about this? Yeah, I want the giants. I don't want anything easy. Perhaps the Lord will be with me. <laughs> and I will drive them out as the Lord had spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave them Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. So here they are blessed of the Lord, and they walk in a spirit and an attitude of victory that someone who is full of fear cannot walk in. This speaks to us. Amen? This speaks to what the Lord has available for you and me. Because it tells us in the book of, of Hebrews, we have a, cov uh, a better covenant on better promises. What does that mean? My gosh, when you read words like this from Caleb, what does that mean? So, you know, I want to, it looks like we're ending early tonight. I want to bring this to a close tonight. Um, but we need to ask ourselves some questions. How, do we only see how big our problem is in life? And then do we complain that God has forgotten us? You know, when you look at the prayer life of most people, if you could be a spy and spy into their prayer life, you know what you're going to hear? Complaining. They complain to God day and night. Oh, God, don't you see how I'm suffering? Oh, God, where are you? How much longer do I have to put up with this? Oh, Lord, you, don't you know what I feel? That's not prayer. That gets as far as the breath to your nose. It's not prayer. Why? Because God doesn't hear unbelief. He hears only belief, as it tells us in Hebrews. And, you know, the important key here is if um, needs of life could move God, because they basically expect, God, don't you see how I'm suffering? What are you going to do about it? So the philosophy there is if needs would move God, then there'd be no needs right? If God were moved by needs, there would be no needs. But there's constant needs. Why? Because God is not moved by needs. But I'm his child. He's not moved by needs. He's moved by faith. Amen. That's it. There's no plan B. He's only moved by faith, as it says in Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Wow. I'm to be going to the Word of God, reading it, and say, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. Oh, yeah, I believe that too. We need to be constantly reinforcing what I believe, what I believe. So when circumstances in life come our way, which are contrary to the harmony of God's Word, we say, no, you don't belong in my life. Uh-uh, uh-uh, my God has promised different. Get out of here. You don't belong in my life. And we put our faith in what He's promised, 
even though I can't see it. I'll believe it before what I'll see in the natural. The Lord is pleased with a heart like that. So, do we only see how big the problem is and we complain that God's forgotten us? Do we forget what He's already done for us? It's always good to write a blessing book for yourself, your own personal book, recording in your life what the Lord has done for you. I highly encourage you to write it down because the enemy is never going to remind you of it. You need to encourage yourself in the Lord. As it says in the Old Testament, David encouraged himself in the Lord. You need to be reading this yourself, an encouragement. You are your own life story. You need to be reading to yourself. Look what the Lord did in my life. They were wrong. He was right. Oh, yeah. And put that in a big yellow highlight. Uh Uh-huh. Do we see Jesus and the Word of God as our solution? Then we would press in by faith. You know, if we read the Word of God and the promises in the Word, it produces faith in us to believe. Nothing I'm going to see in life or from other people's words are going to produce faith in me. Only the Word of God is. I can't live off somebody else's faith. How long can other people carry you? Sooner or later, you have to live by faith for yourself. We're going to do one or the other. I would suggest go the right way. So, uh, where do we go here then? Uh, As we look at these problems in view here, when we do see the problems in life, uh, and, and I'm not making light of this, some people have very serious health issues that go on. Some people have very serious financial issues that don't seem to come to an end. Some people are hit suddenly with health or financial issues. Some people have tremendous marital issues, family issues. Usually if you, you know, are right in the top three for what Christians deal with in the natural, it's usually finances, health, and family, or marriage included. So these problems are out there. How do I respond? So if you're writing this down, three things I think we should remember real quickly. Number one. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Man, when you're seeing the problem, that's all you're going to see. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, you're seeing beyond the problem for the solution you need. And the New New Testament tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that what we see is subject to change. If I can see it, ah, now I know you can change. If I can put a name on it, ah, now I know you can change. Because the Word of God tells me you're temporal. And you can change. Second Corinthians chapter 4. His word never changes for me. It always remains true. And if I can see it, if I can name it, it's subject to change. So, let's our, fix our eyes upon Jesus. Let's look to the unchangeable one. Amen. Second point here, which I just said already, uh, is it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 that God is moved by faith. Not by the problems we have not by the needs that we have. He's waiting for us to say something and do something in faith. So, people just think because the problem is big, well, God will move then. No, he's looking for those who will move with him and look to him in faith. Cannot emphasize that. He responds to faith. That's how you got born again. That's how you stay saved. That's how you deal with every issue in life. You don't go to a new formula. It's always, I respond in faith. Right? Then how you got born again? You believed in something you could not see, couldn't hear, couldn't touch. It witnessed to your heart, I believe. And all of a sudden, you were illuminated inside. You started the Christian walk in faith. It continues in faith. 
every circumstances of life we come in contact with, we respond in faith. The exact same way we got saved, in faith. So we, he responds to faith. We live in faith. He's moved by how we respond to these problems in life, in faith. Third point here is always pray the solution, never the problem. You know, if you listen to hear people when they pray, they'll tell you a, a paragraph about what the problem is, and then they'll close with, but I trust you, Jesus. Amen. That's not prayer, folks. Pray the solution, not the problem. Find the Word of God. Put it on your lips. Speak it out of your mouth. Lord, because you said in this verse, I believe you. Therefore, what is not agreeing with this in my life must go. Got a problem with diabetes? Talk to it. Get out of my life. You don't belong here. This is not my inheritance. Get out of my body. I'm redeemed. You diabetes, you're not Lord over my body. Jesus is Lord over my body. Leave with all your negative effects. You don't belong in me. You got to talk to it. Who cares if people think you're crazy? You got to talk to it. You got to respond by faith. Lord, I believe more in what you say that by your stripes I'm healed than what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing. I'm not trying to convince myself in my head. I got to believe it here. And what I believe has got to come out of my mouth. Most people, oh, I got this problem. Oh, I got that problem. Oh, don't grow old. Oh, you don't know the problems you can get. Why are you complaining? Why don't you speak the Word of God instead? My, my wife had a bunch of relatives like that. Oh, don't grow old. Oh, it's terrible. It's one doctor after another. Oh, slap. Wake up, wake up. Okay, so pray the solution, not the problem. Go to the Word of God. This is real simple. Find the Scripture that agrees with the solution you're looking for. And put your faith in agreement with what he's already said about the problem. And you're making it your solution. What he's already done about it. He's already done something about it. That's what those promises are for. We should be speaking them far more from our lips than repeating the problems we have. Amen. This is called the normal Christian life. Most people in, who claim they are believers, bless their hearts, do not live the normal Christian life. They live a defeated Christian life this side of heaven. How incredibly sad. How incredibly sad. Sooner or later, you've got to walk for yourself and believe for yourself. Now, some of you folks here, maybe you're listening on a podcast, you need to hear this again. You're going to quickly forget what I said. You need to hear this again. Years ago, we used to sell cassette tapes and CDs, so you can hear it over and over and over again. Today, they have podcasts to do that, which I don't understand. But you need to hear, however you get this, you need to hear this again and again and again till you say, all right, shut up. I've heard this enough. Oh, that must mean I got it. That must mean I got it. Um, did everybody ever uh, hear of the book by Smith Wigglesworth, Ever Increasing Faith? Ever read the book? I have. Kenneth Hagin said he wore out four copies of that book. That's how many times he read. How many times do you have to read it to wear out a copy? He wore out four copies of that book in paperback. Wow. Why? Because he was made sure, I want to get this. I want to get this. I want to get this. Until it got to a point where he didn't need to buy a fifth copy. He got it. We have to have that kind of tenaciousness. Uh, do you know of somebody who needs to hear this? Hey, do, do them a blessing. 
send them out a copy of it in some capacity, however they do things today electronically. Uh, people need to know this. For me, I said when I began here, um, I, um, I like speaking about this. Why? Because I don't want to see people lead a defeated Christian life. And if I look over the decades I've been a believer, I meet a, I meet a lot of defeated Christians. I don't know what they get in church, beats me, but they, they certainly it's not what we've been speaking as a church over the decades. We don't speak a defeated message, but people just, I don't know what it is. It goes in one spiritual ear and out the other. I don't get it. I don't get it. But when the, uh, but when the, um, the world collapses around them, boy, they're looking for help. Okay, great. Hey, yeah. Want to pray with you? Want to believe with you? But believe with you. I can't believe for you. Maybe my faith's just not strong enough for that. How about yourself? Will you believe the Lord for yourself? A lot of people want you, want pastors especially to live for them. It's called living vicariously for them. We can't do that. We're not meant for that. All we are is a roadside pointing read the road sign. But if you won't read the road sign, you're going to wander in the wilderness. Don't do that. How about making sense? Making sense tonight? Let's just pray here. Father God, that we would be a people that would rise up in faith. That all that would hear this message, Father, whether live or on a podcast, Father, that we would be a people who would rise up in faith, Father God, to believe you at your word to see the problems of life for what they are, already defeated because of Jesus. To see the problems in life as opportunities to be overcome because Jesus is Lord over our lives. And you've given us your word to put our faith in and believe in to see what is in, not in harmony with your will change. Lord God, I speak life to everyone at the Church of Grace and Peace and hearing this message who are dealing with physical issues, financial issues, marital, family issues. I speak life to them in the name of Jesus. Father God, I would pray that faith would rise up in them, Lord God. And as Jesus' Father prayed for Peter, I pray, Father, that their faith would not fail. I thank you for this, Father, in these days ahead that we rise up a victorious people a people of faith, a people who believe, who know how to believe, who know how to teach others how to believe and how to speak what we believe. We thank you for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Amen.